After 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Shaibane, 
יש ימים לא קלים, כך באמצע החיים, בענן גדול מסתיר את השמש. ואתה מחפש, אתה מבקש, אל תתייאש אחי, אל תתייאש. When the day is going wrong, things seem so tough, can't take it anymore, you've had enough. Remember just one thing, no point in When 
when the day feels like night, anything bright feels like there's nowhere to turn. Although life seems so unfair, don't give in to despair.
JM in the AM. Good morning and welcome to 91.1 FM. 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. The uh, Shabbos medley done by uh, David Dax on the CD entitled Shira Sayam. You heard the New York Boys Choir with Ma Minim. Yumi Lowy with Ma Nomar from the Avas Hashem CD. Shua Kesson, Lolihit Yaesh. Leif Tahar with Lo Alecha and Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's a jam in the AM Friday on this uh, 23rd day of January. Day three in the month of Shvat, the year 5775, Tuf and Hay. Erev Shabbos Parshas Bo, candle lighting time at 442 on this Erev Shabbos. 442. Your official can... There we go. Your official candle lighting time. I jumped into the air signal on my headphones. I was completely confused. Uh, what did I say? 442? 442 on this Erev Shabbos. And um, it is uh, Parsha's bow. A week from Wednesday is Tu Bishvat. Can you imagine? A week from this Wednesday is Tu Bishvat. I know, I know I'm often accused of moving the calendar along too quickly, but I'm excited because the warmer weather might be on the way. I don't know if it's on the way yet, because today we have sunshine and a high of 42, but tonight we have snow and a wintry mix, low of 31. Rain and snow tomorrow for Shabbos, 37 degrees is the high. And the question, of course, what type of snow situation are we going to have over the weekend? That seems to be the big question. I don't have an answer. I have no idea. It's 100% precipitation for tomorrow, but I don't think anybody has a clue if uh, it's going to be those, uh, I don't know, anywhere from a dusting to six inches that they're predicting in different areas. I have no idea. But... um We might have some snow to look forward to if you're one of those people who... Loves to see a good snowstorm at the end of January. Been spared so far. We'll see what happens. Until, well, basically so far. We'll see what happens uh, over the next uh, 24 hours or so. Maybe a little more, yeah. May take 36 hours to see what type of snowfall we get. J.M. and the AM at 24 minutes before 7 o'clock. Malcolm Holmline an hour from now. The weekly update, one of our amazing features, concentrates on what's happening in this incredible world of ours. And boy, there's a lot going on, all right. There is a lot happening. Israel, around the world, just a lot to discuss. Weekly update coming up about 7.40 Eastern time here at JM and the AM. Rabbi Yudin, of course, at 8.15. We'll wrap up the week at 9 o'clock. Plenty on our stream all day long, including an incredible Erev Shabbos music mix um, presented by Kedem that happens every single Erev Shabbos on our stream starting at 10 a.m., until candle lighting, every store, every establishment, every public place, every home, every car should have that stream going. The incredible Arab Shabbos music mix, no matter where you are, every single Friday. JM and the AM, here's the Moshav Band.
In the AM. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Cole Ish performing the Curry Bone off of the Before Eve CD. Ari Goldwag with Menucha Vesimcha. You heard a great set from the Moshav band, including Ms. Marla David and Lachad Odi. And uh, the Shabbos medley we said earlier from David Dak. 7 o'clock in the morning on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Bow. Candle lighting at 442. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, 
Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Golly Tal in the background, news from Israel coming up. Don't forget that uh, Avrami hosts Saturday Night Siegel tomorrow night starting at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern Time on our stream, jmtheam.org. Don't forget Matis has JM Sunday beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on the stream, jmtheam.org. And Elliot Weiselberg with Court Report, 7 o'clock Sunday night on our stream. Galei Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next. Galei Tzal, Ashaa Shtayim, Kan Shibel Karmi Mansur, Ima Shekore Achshav. המפלגות הערביות מכריזות כעת באופן רשמי על ריצה משותפת לכנסת ה-20 במסיבת עיתונאים בנצרת. כתבתנו אורנית פורן שמעה את יושב ראש בלד ג'מאל זחלקה ששובץ במקום השלישי ברשימה המשותפת. מי שלא רצה 11 מנדטים ערבים בכנסת יקבל 15. זה נצחון של השכל הישר, זה נצחון של, נצ... של רצון הציבור הערבי. אין לנו דרך אחרת אלא להתאחד. בתגובה על האיחוד אמר שר החוץ ליברמן, זו ההוכחה שמטרות כל המפלגות הערביות היא להביא לקיצה של מדינת ישראל. כתבנו עידו בן בג'י. בהודעה שפרסם לפני זמן קצר מסר ליברמן במפלגות הערביות, לא משנה אם אתה איסלאמיסט, קומוניסט או ג'יהאדיסט, המטרה המשותפת היא להביא לקיצה של ישראל כמדינה יהודית. מהלך האיחוד חסר התקדים בין הסיעות הערביות, נזכיר, נגרם לאחר שמפלגתו של ליברמן ישראל ביתנו דרשה להעלות את אחוז החסימה. היום קורא ליברמן ליתר המפלגות היהודיות להיאבק ברשימה המשותפת. הרמטכ"ל גנץ התייחס להתחממות בגבול הצפון. בסיור באזור הבטיח, נפעל בנחישות מול כל איום. כוחות צה"ל עוקבים אחרי מה שמתרחש בקהל המרחב, מאוד דרוכים, מאוד ארוכים. הם מאוד נכונים לכל פעולה שתידרש. צה"ל מוכן לכל משימה כפי שלא תתפתח, יפעל בשיקול דעת, אבל בנחישות ובעוצמה הנדרשת. מדברי הרמטכ"ל הביא כתבנו גיא ורון. המחבל שרצח חמישה במרכול הכשר בפריז נקבר לפני זמן קצר בצרפת לאחר שמדינת מוצאו סירבה לקבל את גופתו. כתבתנו עופרי אשל. עמדי קוליבלי, בן השלושים ושתיים, נקבר בחלקה המוסלמית בבית קברות בדרום מזרח פריז. שבועיים לאחר שרצח ארבעה אזרחים יהודים במרכול הכשר במזרח פריז בשוטרת. תחילה נקבע שקוליבלי, שהכריז בסרטון על השתייכותו לדאעש, ייקבר במולדתו מאלי. אך אמש הודיעו הרשויות במדינה האפריקאית כי הן מסרבות לקבור אותו על אדמתם. הטניסאי הישראלי דודי סלע הודח מאליפות אוסטרליה הפתוחה על ידי רפאל נדל, כתבנו תאו וייס. סלע נכנס ל-6-1 ו-6-0 בשתי המערכות הראשונות, אך בשלישית הקשה מאוד על נדל שניצח 7-5. הטניסאי הישראלי זכה לתשואות רבות בסיום מהקהל במגרש המרכזי, והוא מסיים את דרכו באליפות בסיבוב השלישי. התחזית לסוף השבוע, התחממות. אלה החדשות שעורך יותם ברגר בצוות אדר קרפיול ושגיא גבאי.
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Thanks for joining us on this uh, Friday morning. And uh, a reminder, amazing programming on our stream all through the weekend, including uh, Avrami hosting Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night starting at 10. And Amatis with J.M. Sunday live this coming Sunday morning starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we were up at Yeshiva University last night on the uh, Washington Heights campus and saw an amazing basketball game between the Yeshiva College Maccabees and the Mount St. Vincent. And uh, what a spirited crowd. It had been a long time. Well, I shouldn't say that because in uh, in recent years I have been at games with really good crowds, but last night was something special. Unfortunately, Yeshiva took a um, very tough overtime loss on a buzzer beater uh, last night, which was... Uh, just a a killer, an absolute killer. Uh, but they played uh, unbelievably. Uh, they played up to their reputation, which has been spectacular all season long. So congratulations to Coach uh, Elliot Steinmetz and the um, Yeshiva College Maccabees on what so far has been a great season. They should keep going as they um, march through the Skyline Conference which has tightened up as of last night's a heartbreaking loss. Candle lighting at 442, 27 degrees, sunshine, a high temperature of 42, some wintry-type stuff coming later on today and over Shabbos to get ready for that. Malcolm Homeline will join us about 20 minutes from now. It's the weekly update that goes on each and every Friday starting at about 740, and we'll discuss a whole bunch of stuff that happened this week. There is a lot to talk about, that's for sure. So I'll have that for you coming up. Here at JM and the AM. Reminder, the JM and the AM excursion to the Holy Land starts on the 27th of July with our friends at Keshet Israel and Ariel Tours. And we hope that everybody out there will join in and participate with us in what I'm sure will be a unique summer adventure to the Holy Land, which will include live radio broadcasts, but also meetings and greetings and the touring with some of the most amazing personalities in the state of Israel. Information about all of this, go to my website, nachomsegel.com. If you click on the photo at the top of me in front of Marata Machpela, uh, you will get all the information, the itinerary, the registration page, etc., for the summer trip starting on the 27th of July. So please join us, and we look forward to you being part of a very important, interesting, and fun summer adventure to the Holy Land. JM in the AM. More coming up, including this from Usher Scharf and Sons.
que vá morrer Que bobo vá morrer Que vá morrer Que bobo vá morrer Que vá morrer Que bobo vá
J.M. and the A.M. Hitoeri, done by Shmuel Levy, Shlomo Kalbach before that with Kiva Moed, Usher Sharf, and Ms. Marla David opening up that set. J.M. and the A.M. Friday at 23 minutes before 8 o'clock. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for starting your morning with us. Don't forget the NSN app is an amazing way to travel throughout this world and make sure you have J.M. and the A.M. and the Nachum Siegel Network with you at all times. It is Nachum. I just looked it up. Just discussing with somebody whether... Uh, there's any place that we know of that the name Nachum has a, um, has a, uh, oh gosh, what's the word in Hebrew? Not a patach, a kamatz? And uh, the answer is no. At least the, based on every, everywhere we saw it, uh, it's a patach. 
Um, so if you're wondering about the correct pronunciation after all these years, apparently we were able to confirm, in fact, it's Nahum. So <laughs> welcome to JM the Amen. My name is Nahum Siegel. 27 degrees, sunshine, a high temperature of 42. Amazing week coming up next week as we get ready for the big kosher halftime show. Kosher halftime show will go live at 8 p.m. next Sunday night, of course, starring Soul Farm in an amazing performance. Big thank you to all of the sponsors and a big thank you to uh, all of you who encourage us to put together quality, family-friendly programming uh, that happens to be, uh, that, that we happen to encourage to be played and watched and enjoyed during the uh, during halftime next week. Halftime of the big game. Um, so that's coming up a week from Sunday, eagerly uh, awaiting it and uh, eagerly awaiting it, and we should have another promo up on the Nahum Single Network Facebook update page uh, sometime over the next couple of days as well. So that should be cool. Malcolm Holmline, weekly update and more coming up. It's JM in the AM.
Yaeli Greenfeld with that selection here on a JM and the AM Friday morning era of Shabbos. Arye Kunstler before that has Shem's Fossai. The name of that one. Friday morning, I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend our incredible live stream to their readers. I want to print out a million articles about what's happening in this crazy world of ours. Start there at JewishWorldReview.com and then study all of them over Shabbos. And then if you happen to pass Malcolm Honline in the street over Shabbos, he will give you a quick quiz to see if you understand what's happening in current events. I can tell you I would not pass that quiz. No matter what people think, that's how confusing this world has gotten. Candle lighting time at 4.42 on this era of Shabbos. Parsha's bow. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations and joins us for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Always good to be with you. Greatly appreciate that. What do we know about the terror attack in Tel Aviv? We're always concerned about this being a sponsored attack, part of a larger network. We know about the issue of incitement. What's the latest about what happened with this mass stabbing on a Tel Aviv bus this week? It's very interesting that there's been very little follow-up uh, reporting, as is usually the case, regarding the background, the history of the guy, where, what connections he had. People said that he opened his mother's store, came, then went off and tried to kill people. And by the way, some of them are, are still very seriously uh, hurt and, and in uh, ICU units and in t- intensive care because of the, you know, he stabbed people in the stomach. <laughs> And uh, three or four of them are uh, pretty seriously wounded, several of them very critical. So uh, it's not known. And what, what we have is, is a situation of unpredictability mm-hmm. when somebody can just get on a bus and carry out an attack like that. And people said, well, how is it possible that he could do it? It was a crowded bus, and he just started stabbing people. You, you wouldn't expect it. You're standing on a bus going to work in the morning. It's or coming home at night, and you—it's the least thing you would you would be anticipating. And then he chased the people off the bus uh, and continued trying to, to stab them until he was eventually stopped. But it's uh, you know there are two categories: uh, lone wolves and known wolves. Mm. And uh, the NYPD was uh, the deputy commissioner was telling us that the we've moved from the lone wolf, which is just some individual who is in, inspired by what he sees on the internet. And there are thousands of sites, and if you saw, they give specific instructions, including the PA uh, websites or Internet sites, uh, on how to stab people, how to do it correctly, and how to carry it off. Uh, certainly, you know, Hamas, Hezbollah, IS, all of these guys have, these terrorist organizations have uh, websites and, and instructions online, and they often tell people, don't come here, meaning to Syria to fight, or if it's difficult for you to come, just carry out the attacks at home, and that's what we saw in Paris. Saw it elsewhere. Um, although the the, uh, uh, the attacks of the Charlie uh, attacks were by people, one of whom at least was in Yemen itself and was trained. So you have lone wolves who are people who may not have actually gone to a place to train, or may not be real members, like the attacker on the uh, Jewish supermarket. I think was more likely. Have claimed association with I, uh, with IS rather than having actually been a member or affiliated with them. Uh, the, then you have the known wolves who are people like the guys who, who attacked uh, all three of the attackers in France, who were known to the police. But it takes, I think, ten people, or police officers, intelligence officers, to track one person, and they admitted they just didn't have the resources and they dropped the surveillance of these people. 
Unbelievable. It is, you do not feel it's irresponsible for people like Naftali Bennett and other members of the Israeli government to lay blame for an attack like the one in Tel Aviv at the feet of Mahmoud Abbas, right? That's not irresponsible. That's, that's legitimate, correct? I think that it's, uh, it's legitimate to talk about the role of the PA in inspiring violence, in incitement to violence, in justifying violence. And the result is an attack like this. And, and the fact is that they're not rooting him out in the way that they should. There is cooperation between the security forces of the PA and the Israeli security. And we should note that, that that still continues. It's one of the threats they hold over Israel, is that that will not continue if uh, the money doesn't come through, if they don't release the, the money they're holding. Do you believe that the PA helps, in fact, to quell terror attacks? There is cooperation between the security forces that has helped prevent. They often leave it to the Israelis to come in, Israeli forces who often go in at night, as you read, or often don't read, but they arrest known terrorists that they've been seeking. They did it this past week again. Um, the, so there is some cooperation in that, but the, the um, larger problem is that Abbas and other leaders there justify the violence. When they say al is under siege, they know what the result will be, right. how people will uh, yeah, and, and will be um, aroused and how they will start demonstrating and they will incite them to violence. And so they have, I believe Abbas has to be held to account. I think the U.S. and others have not done enough. The president has raised this issue. We've heard it uh, mentioned, but it's in passing when in fact the incitement here and in all of the cases that we see uh, is a critical factor. And when they see the pictures, the beheadings, when we see uh, the uh, appeals to by religious leaders, by others, authority figures, to people to engage in these kind of attacks, and they name the, the targets. The United States is a target. Israel is a target. Uh, the, the, Europe is a target. And then they don't respond to it, and you don't go to the source of who's responsible, and not only that, who carries it out, not even the organization that is behind it, but who funds them. Who aids and abets them? When Qatar does this, they've got to be held to account and not you know, be, be brought in as if they are a legitimate partner. The, uh, one of the most important things I want to reiterate is that uh, when there is a lone wolf situation, as this might have been in Tel Aviv, still you, as an analyst, remind everybody that the lone wolf situation came about because of incitement. It's not an isolated episode to the point that there's nobody else to blame and nobody else in the process. The atmosphere is also guilty in that situation. Well, as you know, I've said this many times. I'm not really convinced that there are completely lone wolves. Right. It can happen, and you've, we've seen the United States. We have crazy guys who, who you know, load up their homes with, with weapons and go and carry off an attack in a school and something else. But in most cases, if not in all, you will find some link to radical literature, to a website, to a imam, to a prison experience, to uh, having been in, in Pakistan or Syria or Iraq. It, some connection is always there, right. and you know they have to search it out. And it can't be you can't say, well, it could be indirect instead of direct. But the fact is that there's always something. Generally, people don't go. Even crazy people don't necessarily just go out and kill. Wantonly, like uh, like we saw this week. All right. Earlier in the week, there was a, an airstrike on Syria. Has anybody taken responsibility for it? I thought you, but uh, 
in terms of officially taking responsibility, no, nobody has taken responsibility. Can you tell us the nature of the attack? I know that there was a revelation this week that in addition to Syrian officials, there were some Iranian officials killed as well. Could you give us an update on what the nature of the attack was? There were no Syrian officials uh, killed. They were Hezbollah officials. Ah, excuse me, right, Hezbollah, right. Uh, uh, and, uh, it, you know, distinction is important because it, it right. tells you who's operating in the in the region. So, first of all, there were some very high-value scores on, in this, and people, I guess, from the media, you certainly wouldn't get the full impression. Jihad Munia, who was the son of, Ah- of Ahmed Munia, who was killed by the Israelis, he was the head of the military forces of Hezbollah. This is his son, who's taking key role. He was put in charge of the Golan by the by um, uh, Hezbollah, and he was there along with. Um, IRGC, uh, Iran Revolutionary Guard people, including a very high-profile general whose role it was was to build uh, four new Hezbollah missile bases. This is a, he's an expert in ballistic missiles, and we believe that he was there planning, and they were going to show him a strike, and they went to an outpost near the in the Golan to look at what the was going to be carried off. And Israel, and perhaps with drones, or, uh, or somebody else uh, who has the capability... Or perhaps Israel. <laughs> maybe. Um, just because I, I know they have drones, I right. mentioned them. Uh, that the, that uh, this is near Kunetra, which those who remember the Six-Day War, and mm-hmm. uh, this is an area now occupied... Uh, Kunetra is now has been occupied by uh, uh, ISIS forces... The border itself is controlled by Syrian rebels. This was a planned attack. Uh, the general uh, from uh, the Iranian general was acknowledged by Iran for the first time, something they rarely do because many of their officers were killed in, in the fighting in Syria, some in Lebanon. The fact that the uh, IRGC, the Iran Revolutionary Guard, is acting so publicly, usually they operate behind the scenes because it doesn't want to be seen as if Iran is manipulating this. They have come out now in the open, as they have in other places, including in Yemen and, in, uh, uh, and well, obviously in Iraq, where they're very public. Soleimani takes his, his, his picture taken all over in, in Baghdad, uh, shown with troops, shown engaged in other um, activities. So the implications of this are very great. Of course, people are concerned about what kind of potential backlash uh, there could be uh, from from the uh, the attack uh, it is an escalation in a sense but there is con- increasing concern about the potential for some sort of an action uh, that they were uh, planning uh, a ground attacks and I warned that the, the new attacks won't be necessary will, will be in addition to missiles Hezbollah's goal is to break through on the ground there was a um, film released this week by Hezbollah showing uh, or indicating cross-border tunnels, despite the fact that the Minister of Defense of Israel and others have said there's no evidence of it. I'm not saying that they're wrong, but this film would certainly raise questions uh, about uh, their capacity. And the the Iranians are acting with greater and greater bravado. They showed a picture, the satellite picture, but for the first time they showed a 27... Um, a meter-long missile, which is a very long missile that could go far beyond Europe, would be able to carry a satellite, but also could carry uh, a large weapon. 
and it was it's on a launching pad near uh, Tehran. So they're being more blatant, I think, because they see that the West is backing off, that they can get away with it, and they show that they challenge it. Has Hezbollah issued a uh, a warning of retaliation against this? They have. Yes. And then Israel expects in public statements that Syria and Lebanon are going to be able to control them and, and, and encourage them not to attack Israel? Israel has warned them about the consequences of any action. Israel's preparing. They've beefed up their... No, I understand, but Israel also is citing the Syrian Lebanon leadership and, and with the expectation... Well, not just against Hezbollah. Obviously, they're, they're talking about... You have a confluence of factors, and remember that these guys are fighting each other also, but Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran and Iran Revolutionary Guard are obviously working together. Iran has in, invested a lot with Hezbollah. Hezbollah is in, in charge, for instance, of the protection of Damascus. Right. All I'm saying, though, is that if Hezbollah, God forbid, attacked Israel, it, it might be difficult to lay blame at the Syrian government, right? Or not necessarily. Well, they didn't say the Syrian government. It's not. They're not blaming Assad. They have criticized Assad, and Israel has hit Assad. But remember that Assad, Iran, Hezbollah... One. Yeah, I understand that. It's Hezbollah that keeps him in power. It's Hezbollah that that and and Iran that is providing weapons, and Assad is giving them the cover uh, for doing it. Defense Minister Moshe alone, Israel will see the governments, regimes, and organizations beyond its northern border as responsible for what emanates from their territory. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but it does. It sounds a, it sounds a bit more that it's not just Hezbollah, but they're warning the Syrian Lebanon, Lebanese government. No, they, they, uh, no it's. Absolutely, I'm right. saying they're warning all of them because it's one. The Hezbollah, uh, um, Hezbollah, Iran, Syria, and Assad regime is one. Then you have uh, ISIS, and you have Al Qaeda, and the uh, and the Free Syrian Army, by the way, has been warning about uh, these activities uh, on the part of. Uh, of, of all of the parties that I mentioned. You mentioned the uh, Iranian uh, presence now, and very public presence in Yemen, for instance. Has Saudi Arabia reacted to this? I, I would think that they would be the most uh, um, scared about an, a real Iranian presence in Yemen. Uh, Yemen, uh, is the Saudis are the most scared. They've been fighting this proxy battle between Iran and Saudi Arabia through the Houthis, who have now, uh, as we talked about, you know, they took the, the Sana, they marched into Sana without resistance, but now they started challenging the president, who is now who resigned, Mansour Hadi, and uh, his co-government resigned, and essentially they turned over the keys. First, they made a compromise with uh, the Houthis and said they would power share, that they would amend the Constitution, that they would um, give other concessions. But of course, for, for these guys, it's never enough. For terrorists and for these for the Islamists, it's never enough. They're never going to honor any deal, which is why so many of the, uh, those who call for, for negotiations or think that you can deal with them as you would with another democratic power are so wrong. The the uh, the guards who were protecting uh, the president fought for two days. The Houthis won, and now they're moving on to the bases that I talked about I think a week ago or two weeks ago, where you have long-range missiles, which will give them even a greater capacity to carry out attacks. The, the uh, Iranians move ships to Bab al-Mandab, which is uh, the important straits uh, in, in Yemen and between Yemen and, and Somalia. The, um, the, act, na- the nature of activities there in, in Yemen are, are uh, heating up. You have now a division of the country between the Houthis and al-Qaeda, two wonderful choices. Wow. Uh, and all this, if you were to analyze it, you know, 
uh, taking into account the last couple of years was because of a change in Yemen leadership or because of a, a, a leadership that's now more sympathetic to old guard, you know, Iranian? How, how would you classify why this shift has occurred in Yemen? First of all, because Yemen is not a real country. Yemen is divided by tribe. It's divided north and south. If you remember, they had this unity tribe. The President Saleh, who, who was thrown out of office, is leading some of this opposition now from the outside. The, the West put in this president, the United States in particular, invested a lot. We did not back them the way we should have. We didn't help them enough, the whole West, in, in fighting the Houthis. So they were always ripe for being overtaken. It's just the Iran never made the move beforehand. Well, they've been fighting, the, the Houthis have been fighting for years along the, the Saudi border. And many people have been killed. The Saudis have bombed the border. They, they fight across the border, cross over, carry out attacks. You think Saudi Arabia is considering a full-scale war against Iran over Yemen? I don't think that Saudi Arabia feels it's ready for a full-scale war, and especially with the death of the king now, so there will be a period of transition. When was the death? Today? Yesterday? He died yesterday at the age of 90. Uh, Meaning king of Saudi Arabia? The king of Saudi Arabia. He's he's being replaced by Salman. Uh, All of these are half-brothers. They're all sons of uh, Abdulaziz bin Saud. And they're not the type to go in and save Yemen. They, well, they are doing things now, supposedly, to try and assist. The question is why they didn't do much more. They did fight along the border, but they didn't really have an ally because the Yemeni army has been so weak and um, uh, very little to, to rely on. And again, the strategic importance of the location means that Iran controls the Straits of Hormuz and now the Straits of Bab el as they said, they can put a chokehold on all the shipping, a chokehold on American shipping. The, all the uh, ships coming through the Suez Canal from the Red Sea, the Dead Sea, the, um, uh, what do you call it, the Gulf, of, uh, and from the Indian Ocean. A lot of it all transverses these places, including a large part of the oil coming to the West. So this is really a, a much broader uh, significance. Yeah. And it, it, Egypt has warned that it will go to war if they try to close the uh, straits, and they have fought Yemen before. Uh, so it's it's of, uh, of great concern, and Iran has invested, and it's, again, another example of how they are expanding their influence. Right. This is one of the four Arab capitals that the Khamenei boasted that Iran, that the Shiites today control, and uh, now they're working on Libya, and they're working in Sudan. They're expanding their influence all the time, and while we're all focused on the nuclear uh, aspect, rightly. Uh, in fact, Iran is engaged in all sorts of nefarious activities, and the West seems to be quiet about it. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Special welcome to those tuned in on the NSN app around the world. Much appreciated. You can comment on the app at any point during our show. And yes, I, and, and Malcolm just set me up for the sanctions question. Don't worry, folks. We're going to get to sanctions in a minute and, and, and the whole BB Congress, uh, President Obama thing. But just one last question. I know, I, you know, be patient with me for a moment, but if someone from Yemen said to you, that the big picture, the even bigger picture than what you just described, Malcolm, 
is that Iran wants to eventually take over everything in the Middle East. And the way to take over Saudi Arabia, such a valuable large piece of the Middle East, is through Yemen. You would say that's a, that's a crazy theory or in fact, you know, as you've described many times, the enemy has so much patience that they are thinking many, many decades ahead. They're not just thinking. That's exactly what they're doing. And they've been doing it for a long time. And I described it here for, for months, saying it's exactly what they're doing. They're operating against Saudi Arabia on two fronts. One is in the eastern province of Khatib, where you have a large Shiite population in Iran has been instigating, sending weapons, and trying to... There's been violence. You don't read about a lot of what happens there, but the Saudi government has cracked down on it and, and trying to fight them from inside. They're active in Bahrain, and part of the reason they want Bahrain is because it's 14 miles across the waterway to, to Katif and to be able to attack Saudi Arabia. Uh, the religious sites in Saudi Arabia make it uh, even more juicy a target. Uh, certainly the oil does. Uh, Iran will run out of oil in the coming decades, so the, the, that is of great importance. Um, and then they operated out of Yemen, and they've been carrying on this war of attrition and this uh, hot war often against Saudi Arabia from Yemen. And they are, and, and they keep testing and pressing because they see where they meet resistance from the West. You know, remember the United States, uh, reacted when the USS Cole was bombed in Yemen. Mm. Uh, we have, supplied weapons. We do have advisors there. The United Nations has uh, set up there. And they've been warning. The United Nations guy, who's a really remarkable uh, man, has been warning openly and giving testimony, telling exactly what's happening. And you give the testimony, and that's where it ends. In the Saudi Arabia versus Iran match, the UAE is on whose side? UAE is with Saudi Arabia. And Oman? Oman is a good question. It's essentially with the UAE as part of it, but they uh, they flirt with uh, Iran, do trading with Iran. Uh, Bahrain is with um, Saudi Arabia, Egypt with Saudi Arabia. And Qatar, because they've been in the news in terms of the terrorist sponsorship. Well, Qatar is playing a, an independent bad role. Kuwait? They're another factor where they've been supporting a lot of the terrorist organizations, and they've been, uh, they're very anti-Saudi Arabia. The Arabs call it a country built on a television station, meaning Al Jazeera. Right. Right. They hate the Qataris. The new emir that we thought would be better, in fact, the young guy was worse. And uh, so, uh, what about Kuwait? Uh, Kuwait is with Saudi Arabia. You know, it's great to do this segment with a map in front of me. I mean, Dubai, which is this big tourist destination, and, and certainly one of the richest parts of. <laughs> Rich isn't tied to you. One of the richest parts of the world, am I right? I mean, it's one of the biggest yeah. economies in the world, and, and it's right next door to Iran. Like it's right there. There it is. Well, you have you have a lot of Iranians. They they operate out of there. It's one of the places they try to bypass the sanctions. UAE, uh, Dubai is obviously part of the UAE right. and United Arab Emirates, and they. They are very anti-Iranian. All right, if I don't get the sanctions, I'm going to uh, <laughs> have a lot of people very angry. President of the United States, State of the Union, it sounded to me like uh, he will not endorse any increase of sanctions against Iran, number one, good idea or bad idea, and number two, good idea or bad idea to share this with the world. Well, this was a political message, obviously, and he, he has been very open about his opposition, that is the president, uh, to the initiative, uh, Kirk Menendez, who, and Senator Menendez, a Democrat, has been incredibly courageous, as have others, in 
continuing to fight because they do it on the basis of principle. They say, look, if it made sense that sanctions brought the Iranians to the table, yep. the threat of new sanctions would be stronger. And they're saying, no, if you bring more sanctions, you will the, uh, the uh, Iranians will have an excuse to walk away. The uh, Europeans will break the sanctions, and um, uh, and and all of the efforts and the, pos- the prospects of coming to a deal. They say, you know, that there's been some progress. There's been uh, limited progress uh, so far. Uh, Reminder: Deadline can, is now June 30th, and we can. Well, you have two deadlines. One was supposed to be now in March about the the three month deadline. And then the six-month deadline. Uh, there are talks going on. Secretary Kerry met with the foreign minister Zarif of, of Iran. Plus, you have the negotiations going on in Europe, going on over the last few days. And uh, they, they mixed signals come out. They say we're close, we're not close. Different ministers have made conflicting uh, statements. So it's very hard to, to know where the real truth is. But um, uh, we are at a critical stage, and the members of Congress, um, the, the bills could pass Congress. The problem is, could they withstand an override of veto, which means that you need 67 members, meaning that you need many Democrats to join the Republicans to support the legislation. And others say, well, there may be other ways that you can adopt it. There are different formulations that are being considered. Um, we'll have to see also, we haven't seen the exact language yet of Kirk Menendez, but the principle of what he's saying is the same that he has been saying all along about why they believe this is important and mm-hmm. will strengthen the hands of the negotiators. What we didn't realize is that at the same time, Israeli intelligence, uh, the Mossad, um, also is encouraging not to uh, levy more sanctions against Iran. No, they didn't say not to. He, what he, he was there was a congressional dele, senatorial delegation in Israel. They met with the head of the Mossad, and as best as I can figure it out. They, uh, the head of Mossad was asked a question, you know, the, we're told that this, the Iranians will leave or will abandon the talks if, uh, if new sanctions are placed. And he said, yes, it's possible, you know, that they would leave. He's now backed off of it and said that's not their position. Uh, as you know, the prime minister has been very strong on this as well. He strongly supports additional sanctions and the, and the initiatives. Um, which is one of the reasons why his potential visit to the or his expected visit to a joint to do a, a joint session of Congress speech um, is so is additionally controversial. The uh, uh, so the the legislation is there. They're working on different drafts. The best thing would be if the administration Congress could work out some sort of a joint approach. You don't want to be split on this. You don't want to send a message to the Iranians that we're that we're split. And well, when you negotiate with each other in front of the whole world, like that, that's like happened, problem, yeah, this exactly. is all being done. In, in a, when would that a, speech? First of all, I, you'll, we'll talk about the protocol of it in a minute because I know it became a big issue in Washington. But uh, when is the speech scheduled before the uh, Israeli election? Yes, it's now scheduled for March third. Originally, they were talking about a February speech. Now they're talking two about weeks March before 3rd. he would come in here to the U.S. to um, maybe it'll help his campaign. Who knows? The administration. Uh, the uh, there would be two weeks before because of the APAC conference oh, right. taking place then. So he would come to speak there, and in conjunction with that, he would speak at the joint session. There are many members who think maybe they should put it off till after the elections in Israel or whatever, work out something. And he said, uh, the Prime Minister put out a statement saying that he's not coming here to criticize. He's coming here to thank the President, to thank the Congress for their support, 
both Republicans and Democrats. How did the protocol work out here? Boehner should not have gone ahead and invited him with the president, uh, without the president's approval. Is that what the issue was? Well, one of the issues they said was that the, that the prime minister, in responding to the invitation, did not consult or talk to the White House about coming. The president has announced he won't meet with Netanyahu because it's his policy not to meet right before elections with the leaders who are candidates. So it shouldn't look like he's interfering <laughs> in the election. <laughs> because who in the White House would ever think of it? Nobody would even dare. They wouldn't. That's Have you seen any of the commercials, the election commercials in Israel? Yes. I mean, I know the ones here are bad, and you know, and they are worthy of most of the adjectives that people apply to them. But I don't know. It's a special brand over there. It's just I don't know. <laughs> <There's> some... <laughs> well, they had a picture. They had one that Netanyahu did in a kindergarten, and telling Tippy to sit down. Right. And, and, and they, Even that, I don't think... They would... ruled it out. They ruled that he couldn't show it. Yeah, but now today everything goes viral anyway. That's true. Uh, I didn't realize that that was declared illegal. Because I was saying to myself, that type of commercial here, I don't think would ever find favor in the eyes of the voters. I think they'd hate a commercial yeah. like that. Are people traveling to Israel to vote? Are you getting a feeling that there's going to be a mass exodus for a couple of days or it's not that type of election this time around? I don't think it excites people. I don't think people see... You know, the, that you've seen in the past sometimes such strong conviction. There is BB fatigue that is natural after many years. They look at the other candidates and they say there's no leader like him. Or they say we got to get anybody but Netanyahu. And that's why you see Labor and Likud so close with Labor ahead right now. But the question is not who's ahead. The question is who can form a coalition. Right. It is important about who gets the nod from the president. It usually goes to the, to the party with the most uh, seats if they can show that they can cobble together uh, a, a 61-vote a, a combination. And uh, right now that favors Netanyahu, but it's possible the religious parties will be very key in that. As uh, Once time comes, we have to see how the final numbers work, because, as you know, Israelis tell the truth to the pollsters, and then they lie at the polls, so it's very unpredictable. Have you seen these billboards, the campaign against the New York Times, slanted against Israel? Have you noticed any of, of those? Are? There's, well, they're at the New York Times, across the street from the New York Times. Oh, it's across, I didn't even realize there's one across the street. I know, I know there's one downtown that I saw. Uh, what's your feeling with a public uh, uh, advertising campaign like that uh, designed against the New York well, Times? One of our member organizations, so... I, uh, uh, I mean, I think putting them on notice, and because every other attempt to, to get the New York Times to at least be objective right. and not to have all of this distorted uh, reporting, um, this is a way of, of embarrassing them and, and putting them on notice. Last week and the week before, we spent a lot of time, especially in light of what had happened in Paris, uh, talking about security about uh, you know synagogues and uh, even any noticeably uh, you know small establishment retail establishment in our area and any area of the United States and how important it is to secure. Are you getting a response? Are you getting the feeling out there that people are taking this more seriously over the last couple of weeks? Absolutely. And we had a, a training session at the here that Flatbush Jewish Community Council did. We had sessions with the police department. Uh, the police have been convening meetings. They're having people go out to do training. Scan the secure community network sends people out. They're getting bombarded with requests, unfortunately, from all over the world, but uh, the New York area in particular. And I hope that every yeshiva is working on it and will get people to do security assessments and will think about steps that they can take. We have recommendations that they train their teachers for lone shooter incidents. Uh, every school, no matter what, nobody's immune, as we have seen, and that they really have to take seriously 
what is happening, and it, it can be anywhere at any time. And the whole the goal of it is deterrence, so that you know they'll go someplace else. It's not that you can prevent the school can't prevent terrorism, but a school can deter them from attacking. And finally, um, the 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 footbridge to the Temple Mount, the Harabayat, is it ever going to be completed? Does it sit in some type of political bureaucracy? Is that the reason why this construction can never end? Uh, what is the status of that bridge that so many of us are familiar with that heads up to the Temple Mount? Uh, the Mugrabi, it's called, and it's uh, it's being held up because you have, first of all, the Palestinians have contested it, and they say this is an attempt for the, and, and the Waqf, uh, which controls the, the top of the Harabayat, because the Dayan turned over the keys to them in 67, if you remember. Um, they are holding it up because it became very controversial, and you had international organizations. You went, everybody going, inspecting, checking. It's, in fact, just re- replacing what was there. It's, it's not hooked up. It, it, the the uh, infrastructure is there. It could be done. And it has uh, essentially been postponed and postponed and postponed, uh, though the... You know the archaeological work that's finished, and the it, it had to be replaced because of for for safety reasons. Uh, one of the things that we have to talk about, though, which I know a lot of people have been calling me and emailing me about the Nisman affair in Argentina. We have a minute uh, left because this is really a very broad significance, and it ties into all the other things we talked about. That South America is also a place where Iran and its operatives are active. He was what, the prosecutor in the case? He was the prosecutor. He's been working for many years trying to bring to justice those responsible for the deaths of 85 people at the AMIA, the Jewish Community Center, uh, many of them not even Jewish, but uh, and hundreds who were wounded. Uh, in addition to the attack on the Israeli embassy in Buenos Aires, this is a, a, a very significant thing. He did not kill himself. This is murder. And they will find uh, a lot of evidence. We know that there were footprints outside. We know that the, you know they kept saying the doors were locked. It's not true. There was another entrance that was not locked, and, the, and there are plenty of ways. There was there's uh, a, a lot of other stuff that I can't say on the air, but but evidence that this is. He had ten policemen guarding him. Uh, the gun wasn't his. Then they said it was an associate who gave him, and then they found that there was no uh, powder marks on his hand from from the shot. The uh, this is a remarkable man whom I hosted in New York. He he was courageous, and that day he was to give testimony in Congress that would have named Kirshner, the president of Argentina, Timmerman, the foreign minister, as having been making a deal for oil from Iran in exchange for immunity for the suspects in the attack. That include uh, Larjani, the former uh, prime minister, uh, Ratsanjani, rather, the former prime minister, Bahidi, the former uh, foreign minister. And a guy named Moksen Rabani, who was the cultural attaché, they have tapes of his conversations with uh, Argentinian officials. It's a 297-page report. This is really significant. And Nisman was a hero. The Jewish community there is so shaken up by this. It is almost like the attacks in, in France in terms of their impact on uh, on people. And Moksen Rabani, we believe, co- helped coordinate the, the, the bombings. There's plenty of evidence. And... You know, that's just before he was going to testify, something he's been building up to for a long time. And it is uh, clear that this was not uh, a suicide, but a, a murder in order to prevent this information from getting out. 
Unbelievable. Uh, more next week with our weekly update. Fridays at 7.40. Malcolm, have a wonderful Shabbos. Good and thank Shabbos, you for... everybody. There you go. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos Parsha's bow with candle lighting at 4.42 on this Erev Shabbos. This time each and every Erev Shabbos, every Friday morning, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parsha's bow. With Parsha's bow, one can say that we are actually off and running. Often running in the sense that the Torah is our constitution, and in this week's parsha we have no less, according to the Chinuch, than 20 mitzvos. We have nine positive mitzvos, including the mitzvah of the Jewish calendar, which we will touch upon, please God. We have the mitzvah of eating matzah, on the night of Pesach, we have the mitzvah of the Gadotola Bincha, relating the story, and hence the name Haggadah, for the book that we use to relate the story. And there are 11 prohibitions, including the prohibition of not to eat chametz on Pesach, not to break a bone in the Korban Pesach. I'd like to, however focus on the name of the parsha. Interestingly, the parsha begins chapter 10, verse 1. Vayomer Hashem el Moshe. Hashem says to, Mar- to Moshe, Bo el Paro. Seven makos, seven plagues occurred in last week's parsha. We are up to the last three. And Hashem is sending Moshe back to Paro and telling him exactly what's going to happen. Now, interestingly, in last week's parsha, when God first sends Moshe to Paro, He says to him, Lech el Paro, go to Paro. Moshe has a mission specifically there to warn him by the river that the waters are going to be turned into blood. God says to Moshe, go. Here, he tells him to go to Paro in a strange way. The name of the parasha is not Lech, go to Paro, but it's Bo el Paro. Bo in Hebrew means come. Should it not say go to And our rabbis teach us a very important principle that's contained in this introduction, in the opening words of the parasha. And that is that Hashem is inviting Moshe to come and join him to participate in the process. Of course, God can do it alone. He wants Moshe, man, to join him. So when he says, come to Paro, it really, it's as if it were written in the Torah, Bo, come, and as if there was a carrot, meaning, another word on top, E.T., 
Come with me. I'm going to be there. I'm with you. In essence, I'm the one that's doing it. But you are being invited to come and join me in the process. And think about it. The very first mitzvah of these 20 mitzvahs that are found in Parshas Bo is the mitzvah of Kiddush HaChodesh. The mitzvah of the unique Jewish calendar that we have a calendar which is lunar in the sense that our months are determined by the moon as well as in conjunction with the solar that every 19 years we have seven years of leap years in order to make sure that our holidays will fall in the right season. Pesach is to be in the springtime, Sukkos is to be in the fall. But listen carefully, the very first Rashi of the Torah is that the Torah should have begun with chapter 12 in the book of Shmos, verse 1 and 2, whereby Hashem commands Moshe and Aaron, the first mitzvah, which is the Jewish calendar. And the question I'd like to ask is, what is so special about this mitzvah that it really is the first? And I'd like to suggest the following. If you think about it, what is the mitzvah? The mitzvah is that following day 29 in any month, If two witnesses, two individuals, saw the new moon on the night following day 29, they are instructed to come and travel the next morning to Yerushalayim, to the Sanhedrin, and to testify there that they saw the new moon. And this is done even on Shabbos as we are taught in the second chapter of the Gemara Rosh Hashanah. Now when they came to testify, it's obvious that the Sanhedrin were well versed in astronomy. They asked the witnesses who were interrogated, tell us, how did you see the moon? Was it was it facing the sun or away from the sun? Was it to the north or the south? How high was it above the horizon? Which way were the crescents leaning? How wide was it? Now, it's amazing, meaning that the scholars of the Sanhedrin knew precisely where it was to be, when it was to be. So if we know this without the witnesses, why does the Torah require that witnesses come and testify? And it's based upon their testimony that we declare Rosh Chodesh. So if two witnesses come on day 30, then that day is declared Rosh Chodesh. And if two witnesses don't come, even though the court knows that moon could have been visible, if not for the fact that it was a cloudy night, we wait until the next day, the day after day 30, to become Rosh Chodesh. How do you explain this?
I'd like to suggest the same theme again. The Torah is inviting man to participate in the process. Man is elevated to become the Makadesh. Man sanctifies. And so, what you have is a very exciting idea. The very first mitzvah that was given to Avram Avinu was that of circumcision. And the way the Chinuch explains the rationale for circumcision is that as man is to perfect his body, so too he is to complete his soul, his character, through his actions. Man the Mekadesh. And thus the very first mitzvah that was given to the Jewish people as a people reflects just this idea that the Jew is being elevated to join God in the process of sanctifying his surroundings. He sanctifies his time through the calendar. He sanctifies his body through circumcision. He sanctifies his location through his being Makadesh Eretz Yisrael, through his building and suffusing sanctity into a Beis HaMikdash. So in essence, what the Torah is saying by using the term bow, come with me, Hashem is basically speaking in this case here to Moshe. Moshe, you have a shlichos, you have a mission, you have a tafkid, you have a purpose, and I know what you're saying. You've got a physical deformity, you've got a speech impediment, don't worry, I will be with you. And so it is that each and every individual has a tafkid, has a purpose and a mission in life. And your mission is different than the person next to you, and the person in front of you in shul, and the person in back of you in shul. And therefore you can't judge a mission by what you have to do, because, as I will show you so powerfully, we don't always know what our mission is. And in fact, more often than not, we don't. Tosvos, in the first chapter of Kedushan, brings the Yushalmi, which tells an incredible story. It seems that Reptarphon was ill, and his Chaveirim, the other Chachomim, came to visit him. He, they were greeted at the door by his elderly mother, and she said to the Chachomim, Please, pray for my son Tarfon, he is such a good son. So once she said that, they asked her, Oh yeah, tell us, what makes him such a good son? She says, not too long ago, we were walking on Shabbos, and the strap to my sandal broke. There was no Erev where we were, so he couldn't go and bring another strap, another sandal. So what did he do? He got down on his knees and he put his hands in front of him, and I walked on the palms of his hand rather than I should get my feet dirty. So if you or I heard this story, what would have been our response? One word, 
Wow! Because after all, we know, as the rabbis did, what the law calls for. Kibbut Avaim does not call for putting your hands under mom's feet, that mom should walk on your feet. Now, what was the response of the rabbis? The rabbis didn't say like you or I would have said, wow, you know what they said? They said, huh, he hasn't even fulfilled half of what his obligation as a son is. How do we understand this? Rav Salavechik, Zechat Sadiq Levracha, explained this so powerfully. And he said as follows, that had you asked anybody in this story, Rav Tarfon himself, his mom, the other rabbis, what was Rav Tarfon's tafkid, his purpose in life, in this world? They all would have said, he's part of the Mesora, he's part of the Chachmei Talmud, he's part of perpetuating and analyzing and teaching God's Torah. Until they heard the story. And once they heard the story, they said, oh no, maybe his tafkid, his purpose in this world is to show how far a son is to go on behalf of a mother. And now that he did this most valiant behavior towards his mother, maybe he fulfilled his shlichus and therefore his purpose. And therefore, they were praying to God, please Please don't take him because he hasn't even fulfilled half of what a son should do. Wow! What does this teach us? It teaches us, number one, that each and every person has a tafkid, a purpose in this world. Secondly, that very often we don't know what that tafkid is. Thirdly, however... Hashem doesn't take us until we have an opportunity to fulfill our tafkid. Now, the idea is, Bo El Paro, Hashem is saying to Moshe, and take Moshe's name out and put your name in. Hashem is saying to each and every one of us, Come, come with me, because I will help you with your tafkid. But you have to take the first step. Moshe, you have to go as you did last week, Lechel Paro. You've got to go. And once you go in the right direction, I will help you. And therefore, after the Lech of last week, it's Bo, I am with you, Moshe. And our rabbis tell us so beautifully, it happens to be in Shira Shirim in the Medrash, in chapter 5, the Medrash uses this example, Pischuli, open up for me, Pesach Echad, open up for me, says God, just a small little crack in the doorway. You've got to take the initiative. You've got to show your desire. You have to show that how you perceive your tafkid in this world, your purpose, you will work in that direction. Even, how much do you have to open up? Literally, like the eye of a needle. The Ani and God promises, I will open up doors for you. That wagons, would be able to go through. Amazing. 
The idea behind this is so reassuring. It's telling us not only that everybody has a mission, but that we can accomplish so much. You want to know why? Because you're not alone in your mission. Because look what you have behind you. You have no, nothing else but literally God Himself who is there to help you impact and change your surroundings and change the world. Because look who we proudly are, the Shluchim are. We are Shluchei Durachmana. We are literally God's emissaries. And this is that powerful message that the Torah uses when it says, Boel Paro, Moshe, don't think that you can't do it by yourself, because indeed you can't. But it's not you yourself that has this mission. I am with you. And everybody's invited to take Moshe's name out and put your name in, and realize how important you are. Shabbat Shalom to all.
is a life of courage through times of senseless hate. Fade your ways, kept that smile and wiped our tears away. Promised us there'll come a time when we'll always say, Shabbos now, Shabbos now. the AM Shabbos Day, or I should say it's Shabbos Now, that's uh, eighth day here at JM and the AM. Big hello to those who are running for Beit Al-Azrahi, the Natanya Children's Home of Emuna that we um, that we featured here when Yehuda Kohn was in, uh, was in studio a few weeks ago, you may recall, before the uh, Emuna dinner. And uh, in fact, they have, I believe, if I read the... Uh, if I read the story correctly, I think there are 12 people, right? Are there 12 in from Israel? I believe there's 12 runners, age 15 through 18, uh, from Israel that have been training and are going to be part of the big race this week. Um, the children are running in memory of the eight IDF soldiers from the Golani Brigade's 13th Battalion who were killed in the Gaza operation against Hamas this past summer. And their names are listed here. Um, anyway, if you go to Amuna.org and uh, check out their article, their uh, information about the marathon, you'll see about those uh, children from Natanya who are here to run in the Miami Marathon this coming Sunday. Pretty amazing story. Friday morning, it's JM and the AM candle lighting at 442 on this uh, era of Shabbos. Speaking of the... Uh, speaking of the Miami Marathon, a big shout-out to Team Yachad. Ellie Hagler and Miriam L. Wallach are two of the many, many members of Team Yachad that are that are going for gold this coming Sunday in the Miami Marathon. And I remind everybody, parents, friends, family, donors around the world, if you want to watch live and see and feel all the excitement that's going to be happening before the race, tomorrow night there will be a live chat room and the ability to interact with Yachad in real time. Where? At their pasta party and awards presentation. It starts at 8 p.m. tomorrow night online, teamyachad.com slash pasta. Team, teamyachad.com slash pasta. That's the address. And you can join in, be a part of it. I'm sure it'll be pretty amazing. A big shout out to the Yeshiva College Maccabees. Uh, for the first time this season, I had the opportunity to be at a uh, Yeshiva College home game 
last night, and it was a heartbreaker. They lost on a three-point buzzer beater, and I mean literally a buzzer beater in overtime, uh, which was heartbreaking. But boy, oh boy, Coach Elliott Steinmetz and the Max, they are rolling this season, playing some very, very meaningful games, and uh, their quest for the Skyline Conference Championship continues. I believe they are now tied for first place in the Skyline Conference. So a big shout-out to the Maccabees and to all their amazing players. It was really an, an incredible an amazing contest. Wish it would have gone the other way, but hey, that's the way the ball bounces, as they say. Uh, JM the AM speaking of the ball and the football and the, uh, the larger football, the deflated football and the, all the other stuff. A uh, coaster halftime show is coming up a week from Sunday. Make sure you are uh, where you need to be at a computer or your laptop or iPad, wherever the case may be, so you can see the coaster halftime show starring Soul Farm. It is coming up. A week from Sunday, approximately 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Kosher Halftime Show starring Soul Farm. We'll talk plenty more about it next week right here at JM in the AM. 14 minutes before 9 o'clock on this era of Shabbos at JM in the AM.
param pam parabaram pam parabaram pam pam param pam parabaram pam pam parabaram pam parabaram param pam parabaram pam pam parabaram pam pam parabaram param pam parabaram pam pam parabaram pam
Shlomi Kaufman and Company. Friday morning, era of Shabbos with candle lighting at 4.42. Those of you just returning from vacation, Yeshiva break, welcome back. And thanks to those tuned in around the world on the NSN app. Well, <laughs> jumped the gun on that one. On the NSN app, it is greatly appreciated. Time to say good Shabbos. It's Journeys at JM in the AM.
Achenu Yisrael and Achim Achem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, and around the world in the web at jmtheam.org. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. Tune into all of our wonderful programming, including all day today on our stream at jmtheam.org. And, of course, tomorrow night with our Rummy starting at 10. And Matis Sunday morning with JM Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Till Monday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.